Wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's quite the statement too, isn't it? Dumb things that Christians believe. Wow. Have you ever done anything dumb? No, none of us have ever done anything dumb. As I was thinking into my life, if I've ever done anything dumb, I thought, mm, nope, uh, never. Uh, well, I, I did I hear a story about my grandmother one time. In 1905, my grandmother was five years old. Her and her older siblings were charged with cleaning all of the straw uh, and manure out of the barn. And uh, you know how kids are sometimes. They're like, oh, really, do we have to? And they thought, okay, we do. And they were all, you know, pitchforking all of the, the straw out of the, uh, the bunk where the, um, where the dairy cow would, uh, would stand. And uh, they thought, you know, it's sort of a, a waste of all of our energy if we fork this up and we carry it out of the barn and we throw it in a pile and we burn it. Let's just pile it in a pile in the barn and burn it there. And they did, along with the barn. Burned it to the ground. That was a dumb thing. That was a really dumb thing. Um, you know, I, when I was the same kind of age, I, I, I thought, you know, I, there was these rocks, and I wanted to get them sharp, and I'd seen Dad do things in the shop before, and we had this pump jack with a, you know, it had a belt and an electric motor on top, and I thought, oh, it'd be really, a really smart thing for me to try and rub these rocks on this big wheel. And as I did, of course, you know, I, I slipped, and, and I lost this finger, and this finger, and this finger, and they sewed this one back on, and that happened when I was five. Of course, that wasn't a dumb thing to do at all. But, right, we've all done dumb things, right? You've, you've thought, or you didn't think, and you did a thing, or you've even thought that's a dumb thing, but then you did it anyway, and then later, you're like, what? Why did I do that dumb thing? Well, honestly... There are dumb things that Christians believe. And there's a book by Larry Osborne titled, Ten Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. We decided to title it, Five Dumb Things Some Christians Believe. Because we don't all believe these things, but sometimes I think maybe, maybe we, we think more of these things. Larry, Larry Osborne calls them spiritual urban legends. And this is how he describes them. A spiritual urban legend is a belief, a story, assumption, or a truism that gets passed around as fact. In most cases, <clears throat> the source is a friend, a Sunday school class, a Bible study, a devotional, a book, or even a sermon. Because they sound so plausible and come from a reputable source, spiritual urban legends are often accepted without question and then quickly passed on. Especially true in today's culture where social media is just so easy to just throw it out there. You know, you read it and you're like, yeah, that's exactly right. And you share it. And then, and then later you get, you get a message from somebody that says, oh, by the way, you know, that's not true. And you're like, ah, I can't stop it now. You know, all my friends have already shared it because they thought it was true and it was good. Um, it's widely, once widely disseminated, they, take, they tend to take on a life of their own. They become almost impossible to refute because everyone knows they're true and anyone who dares to question their veracity gets written off as a spiritually dull, lacking in faith, or a liberal. Now, there are some things that people believe that aren't true that honestly don't dis destroy their faith. It's, it's really not that big of a deal that, that it's not true. Um, for instance, the statement, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, that's in the Bible, right? No, it's not. But sometimes statements like that can take a life of their own. Or maybe this one. I think my grandmother insinuated that this was in the Bible. A penny saved is a penny earned. Nope, that's not in there either. Um, or that Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in the movie Passion of the Christ, looked exactly like Jesus would have looked. Sometimes we look at things and we see things and we think, oh, of course Jesus was white and blue-eyed, right? 
Wrong! No. Um, you know, we, there's another story that I often think of. There was this, there was this mom, younger mom, you know, she was making a, a, a big ro- a roast for dinner, and, and her husband is watching her, and, and she takes this roast out of the refrigerator, and she sets it on the counter, and she cuts the end off of it, and she throws the end in the trash. And, and her husband was like, honey, why did, you just, why did you just throw that in the trash? And she said, well, that's the way my mom always cooks a roast. So she thought, well, how? Um, she, she called her mom, and she said, Mom, how come you always cooked a roast this way? And Mom said, because that's the way my mom always did. Okay, so she called her mom, right? Grandma is still alive, and she called her, and she said, Mom, why did you always cut the end off of the roast before you cooked it? And she said, because my pan was always too small and it wouldn't fit. So sometimes we do things in our life because it's always been done that way or somebody said at one time this is true and it just is and we, it, we just live our life right, right along with that. We simply need to be careful that we research and study and pray through questions and statements that we're confronted with. And trust me, I have prayed through and wrestled with this one today. I thought when we decided to do this series, oh, it's going to be great, it's going to be easy. no. It's not. Today we tackle the statement, everything happens for a reason. Have you ever said that to someone? Have you ever thought that? Every th- I have. In fact, I don't believe in coincidences, and which, which goes to, to point to the fact that, well, of course everything happens for a reason, but I want to, as I've wrestled with this, I want to push back on that just a little bit here this morning, okay? Okay, and to be fair, um, have you ever said to someone, um, everything happens for a reason. Um, we or someone we know is usually dealing, when we say these things, it's usually to somebody that's, that's in the midst of a horrific circumstance in life and that statement comes out or you think it and before you can stop yourself, you say it out loud to, to this person. Um, cancer or a tragic car crash or a sudden death and to be fair, um, that, that person who said that, maybe it was even you, um, you meant well, you, you wanted to give ease to the situation, but that statement right there and a few others that relate to it do not give hope in a situation like that to many people. Because um, we want to support and encourage one another. And in the end, I'm going to give us some action steps that, that go to this. But, but have you ever heard something in a conversation or you've, you've gotten an email or a letter that said something like this, God must be up to something? Have you ever heard that or said that to someone? Or, or God doesn't make mistakes? Or you must be very special for God to trust you with this? Or won't it be great to see how God uses this? Or isn't it good to know that everything happens for a reason? But truth be told, it wasn't very helpful. Now, of course, in one sense, they're completely correct, right? All of those statements are true. I believe every one of them. God can make something good out of that. God does continue to work. But uh, no matter what happens, God is in control. He's the creator the king of, and king of the universe. He is sovereign over all things. I do not doubt that. He could do whatever he wants, and I can trust that it will be good. That it will be good. But that doesn't mean that everything, and I mean everything, that happens was directly caused by him. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is something that he wants to happen. And it certainly doesn't mean that everything that he allows is good. 
Because sometimes those definitions can be in that statement. Okay, let's, let's think about these, these examples, for instance, okay? Just hang with me, okay? Don't, don't write me off yet. Did God cause Lucifer to rebel? Did God want him to do that? Did, did, did he make Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God work circumstances out so David would observe Bathsheba and have an affair with her? Did God do that? Did, cause, did God cause that to happen? Did God, God cause Cain to kill Abel, or the people that built the Tower of Babel, or a crowd that cried for Barabbas instead of Jesus, the one who was truly innocent. No, I believe those who carried out all of those evil actions are completely and solely responsible for their actions. They can't blame God. Of course, some of them did. Adam tried to blame God, and how did that go over? Right? Look it up. Genesis 3.12 will tell you how God responded to that. Osborne says that most spiritual urban legends are a combination of wishful thinking and a twisted understanding of a few key Bible verses. And that is the case with this one. And, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Turn there in your Bibles. Um, maybe it's Bible Gateway on your phone. There should be a Bible underneath a chair in front of you if you didn't bring one with you today. Romans chapter 8. And I want to read verses 26 through 30. <clears throat> Romans eight twenty six through 30. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That passage right there is jam-packed full of theological truth. Wow. But the verse I want to focus on this morning is verse 28. Look at verse 28. Now, I want you to first, though, in your Bibles, which are probably in IV, um, maybe a few of you have the King James Version, I want you to look up here at how the, the translators of the King James Version translated verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay? Now, that verse, as it's translated right there, seems to say to me... That if we love God, that if we have been called according to his purpose, that all things that happen are for our good. That somehow all things are a part of the goodness of God, no matter, no matter what it is. That, there's it, that, that there is this grand scheme that God has, and everything that happens is necessary for God to carry out that grand scheme. Okay, now I want you to look at this in the NIV, and it's, it's subtle. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, the verse is saying that in all things, especially the difficult things, as we are focusing in on this morning, that God can and will, though we may not see it sometimes, work that he will work. 
Things that we say to others or to ourselves in the midst of pain are formed by what we believe. Okay? One of the main points I want to make today is that we must be careful when we're trying to help people who are going through difficult things by what we say and how we say it. But suffice it to say that my prayer is for all of us this morning that as we think and wrestle with today's passage that we aren't afraid to walk hard roads with people. We're not afraid to walk hard roads ourselves. And as we do, we do it with faith and we do it with gentleness. So one thing that we need to realize in the face of difficulties, the difficulties in life is this, that God is not the cause of pain and suffering. God is not the cause of pain and suffering. Now, there are certainly reasons for pain and suffering in our lives. And I think, for many of us, it's time to stop blaming God. Look back at, at, at a couple verses to verse 22 of Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. There are evils in the world. There are things that cause pain and suffering in our world. And these are sometimes referred to as natural evil and moral evil, although sometimes I think we even need to wrestle with the word evil. Is this thing, though it's hard, though it's tragic, is it really evil or is it just hard and tragic? And painful. But both of these things were birthed in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, Don't God said, Don't eat of it, and they did. Now, there are things in our world that I think are natural and destructive and cause pain and suffering. Tornadoes, hurricanes, floods. If that dam in California had broken, how many people would go through pain and suffering? Did God cause the, 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 the government of California to not spend the money that they needed to to fix that because they've been in a drought? Well, you know, we've been in this drought for 10 years. What's another year? Well, gosh, we've been praying that you would be out of the drought for 10 years, and God finally answers your prayer, and you're not ready. Um... So our world is decaying. It's breaking down, as, vo- as verse 22 points out, and that causes pain and suffering. Um, some of our pain and suffering is self-inflicted. Some of, some of that pain isn't necessarily um, sin. It's not necessarily evil, like m- what my grandma and her siblings experienced when they burned the barn down. You know, that wasn't a sinful action, it was a dumb action. It, it, they weren't thinking. And though my grandmother probably couldn't sit down for a week, there were consequences to that. The, the family experienced pain and suffering. I mean, in 1905, I can't imagine what it was like to rebuild a barn. Just getting the materials to, to Alvin, Wyoming, for instance. They probably had to come in on a train. You know, they didn't have Amazon.com back then, right? They didn't have Menards. You couldn't just take the trailer and go get it. You know, I don't know. You had to send a telegram or something, you know, wait two weeks and get a response. I don't know. It was, but it was hard. If, if we make a bad financial decision, 
You know, we ask, we ask our friends, hey, we really want to buy this house, and, 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 and here's our budget. We've kind of worked it out, and our friends look at us and say, man, no way, don't do it. And we do it anyway, and we, went, we end up fi- um, um, filing bankruptcy, pain, and suffering, self-inflicted. It was a bad decision. We shouldn't have decided to do that. Then there's moral evil. Moral evil, that's when we choose to sin. And there are grave consequences to sin. When David saw Bathsheba and gave in to his selfish and sexual desires, there were consequences to that, right? A man lost his life innocently. David committed murder in the name of that sin. His family um, experienced death. His children, many of them rebelled against God. He He was in a lifetime of war. That's all David's life was about. It's ludicrous. For us to blame God for everything and assume that he's going to jump in every time and fix whatever we mess up. You know, just make it easy. Just, just, just like the, the father whose, whose son continually gets in trouble with the law and he continues to go to the jail and bail him out. You know, my, one of the guys I'm going to be talking about today later, I have a letter from him. Um, he was coming to Cheyenne to visit his girlfriend. And it, before he left his house in Colorado, his dad said, do, I know you're running behind, do not speed. When the patrolman clocked him at the port of entry south of Cheyenne, he was doing 105. It took the patrolman to the middle of Cheyenne to catch him. Okay? He's 17 years old. They took his, they, 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 they Cuffed him and stuffed him is exactly what they did. And you know what his dad did? Let him sit there overnight. It's a natural consequence of doing something wrong that you knew you shouldn't have done before. Now, the state of Colorado did not take his driver's license away. His dad did. His senior year, he was without a car the entire year. He had to ride his bike to work. His dad took him to prom. Now, Those are natural consequences. I'm telling you, that senior young man in high school would tell you it was pain and suffering. But that wasn't God's fault. God didn't push the accelerator down for you. You made that decision. You made that choice. You know, sometimes too we think, well, God will forgive me even if I do this. He'll fix it if it fails. We need to be careful. The belief that God is the direct cause of everything that happens and has a specific reason and blessing for it is not only untrue, it has the potential to produce great spiritual harm. And here's why I say that. It can cause us and others to be angry with God. We blame him. It's his fault. Why would he put me in this? Now, this is where the wrestling comes because I think God does. I think God disciplines us. And, you know, you, you look in Scripture and you read the, the, the account of Job. Man, wow. I mean, I'm... But, but, but what it does is it causes us to be angry with God. We begin to think that maybe God isn't good after all. You know, if you tell a non-Christian friend that the reason that, that they're um, one month old died in the middle of the night is because there's a reason for everything and that God, God's going to do something good here, what do you think their response is going to be? What, what are they thinking? Well, God did this? 
this pain and suffering that I'm experiencing right now? We may also gloss over sin. I mean, if whatever happens is a part of God's plan anyway, then he's going to bail me out even when I choose to sin, right? We cannot think this way. A pastor was told that an affair, he was told these three things by, by people. They said an affair was part of God's plan because the new union resulted in a happy marriage. Okay? He was also told that God must have orchestrated a bitter church split because it led to the birth of a dynamic ministry. Really? And that God was behind a murder and the subsequent conviction because the murderer met the Lord in prison. I mean, can you, can you see the problem in those things? It can also cause irresponsibility. I think, you know, we can take unusual risks financially or with our safety or in relationships because God, you know, we sort of have this mind that, that God's not going to let anything happen for no reason. In fact, even when our friends are giving us sound advice, we may not heed that and make an irresponsible decision. I already mentioned that. And then when it does, when we go bankrupt, we say, God, where were you? God, why, why did you do this? And, and here's, here's where the biggest part of this wrestling occurs, and it's been occurring in me, is I, I don't believe anything happens on this planet that doesn't pass through the hands of God. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. And to me, that's where the pushback for me on this statement comes from. Is if he knew it was going to happen and he let it happen, I still want to blame him for it. I just don't think we can. I don't think we can. I don't think that's the direction we want to go. I don't think that's the direction we want to go. God is not the cause of pain and suffering. But when we experience pain and suffering, we need to remember that God is right there with us. God is right with you in the middle of your suffering. He is right there. We are not alone when we face pain and suffering. When you are sitting in a doctor's waiting room waiting for the prognosis and minutes feel like hours, he's right there with you. He's right there with you. When you're headed to a funeral for someone you were really close to, yes, he's right there with you. He's right there with you. When you are in the middle of the treatment barrage for for cancer of some kind and you, you begin to wonder if it was a good decision or that you can even make it to the end, you need to know that he's right there with you. He's right there. God is at work We have to remember that Satan's best shot because, because in, in, uh, in the New Testament it says, what, what, what is Satan doing? What is he, what, what's he working towards? He's working towards killing you and destroying you. That's his goal. That's what he's doing. He wants you to suffer. He wants you to feel pain. He wants you to blame God. But we need to remember that Satan's best shot, that his most powerful attempt to destroy us and to ruin our life 
is nothing in, in comparison to the power of God. It's nothing. In the end, who wins? Who wins? Satan? No. No. God does. God is working. And despite Satan's best shots, his ultimate plan will not be thwarted. So, Pastor Dave, you're saying then that everything will work out. No, I'm not saying that. I mean, there are situations in Scripture where it's obvious that bad things turn out really good. Job, for instance, he went through, he lost everything. Everything. And you get to the end of that, and you, you, you walk through his struggle, and you get to the end of that, and you see that God blesses him twofold of everything that he had before. Well, it doesn't end up that way for everybody. We have that instance in the book of Job. We think of Joseph, and you think of Genesis um, chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I wonder if all through that experience, when Joseph was being drug off by the people that his brothers sold him into slavery with, when he was in the, in the, in the jail because he was an honest guy, was he thinking to himself, man, God must have a greater plan here. I don't, I don't know. We're not told that. But what we are told is what he said to his brothers. What he didn't say to them was that God couldn't have accomplished this without you being jerks and wanting to kill me in the first place. God continued to work the entire time. And our response in the middle of, difficult, of the difficult things in life I believe, and I think it was for Joseph, and I think it was for Job, though his friends didn't help him much, is to be obedient. It's to be obedient in the midst of that. It's, it's to trust God. It's to, it's to follow his direction. We're going to face hard things in this breaking down world. You know, some of those things we just talked about over the course of the last four weeks as we looked at conflict. Conflict can be a tragic thing in our lives. It can be very destructive. But as we experience conflict, there are lots of things that God tells us in his word, how we can, can, can work through those situations and come out stronger and closer to the person on the other side, but we have to listen to, to his wisdom. You know, pain and suffering, even when we want to lash out and take control or want to get angry at God and blame him or we want to badly, we want so badly to find the silver lining, right? What is the purpose of this? There's got to be some greater purpose. What is, where is the silver lining in the midst of this? And it just doesn't seem to, the, to be there. We take the path of obedience. The path of obedience always takes the high road Osborne says it this way, it tells the truth even if the truth brings pain. It refuses to return evil for evil even when vengeance is within reach. It's thankful even when there's not much to be thankful for. It walks with integrity even when no one else does. It does the right thing even when the right thing doesn't work out so well. You know, when life falls apart, I think there's something far more important to look for than a silver lining, and I think it's the path of obedience. And we may see the silver lining. There may be one. 
Bottom line is this. God hasn't promised that everything will work out in this life. He said to his disciples, man, you're going to face trouble. Do you think when one of the, the disciples was hanging upside down just before his head was lopped off, he was thinking there's a silver lining in this? Now, ultimately there is, right? Heaven, eternity. You see, God's plan cannot be, his eternal purposes can never be thwarted. He will never leave us nor forsake us, he says in Romans 8.28. He's right there with us in the middle of our suffering. And I think we can also take to the bank that God will form something worthwhile out of the heartbreaks in your life. You see, like Moses, we may not see it in our lifetime. Okay, Moses, the, the Israelites were given, were promised the promised land. And what did Moses do? Right? He whacked the rock a few too many times. And God said, because of your disobedience, you and this entire generation will not see, will not see the promised land. But they were still headed to the promised land, and though he did not see that blessing, it still occurred. We can completely trust God to work. We can completely trust him. I mean, for all the truth that we've heard today about difficulties in life and how we can't just throw caution to the wind and put our hope in the fact that God will bail us out when we do dumb things or even worse, sinful things, I want to also remind us that God is in the business of forgiveness. God is in the business of restoration. And, and his ultimate act was to send Jesus Christ here. Jesus took on all the garbage of the world and he bore the pain. He was separated from the Father. God knows pain. God knows suffering. And we mustn't feel like we are alone in the midst of it. Jesus, in fact, experienced it in a depth that we will never experience. But we can count on God forming something worthwhile. My mom lost a battle to cancer when I was 19. She was 59 years old. 59. And I actually had to look that up today because I, I, I thought it was too young. She was 59, and the last couple years of her life were not very fun. Of course, I was a selfish senior in high school, junior and senior in high school, living my life on my own, and I, I, I guarantee you I didn't see half the struggle and pain that my mom and dad went through in the midst of that. But, but I was home every weekend for the last four months of her life, and I experienced a lot of the suffering that she did. And... And I wonder if she would say that her last six months were, were worthwhile, that if there could be anything that could be redeemed in that. I, I don't know. In fact, I, I, I will put words in her mouth and say that, that she would say that that last six months was rather heartbreaking. Because I remember her asking things like, God, I know you can heal me, but why wouldn't you do it for me? God, this, this cancer is tough. She was on oxygen. It was, 
It was heartbreaking. But I also believe that I wouldn't be who I am today if she were still alive. Now, is that the reason my mom had cancer? No. 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 Could I still be who I am today if she had not died? If God wanted me to be, yes. Yes. No doubt in my mind it would be different. We've been praying for my niece and her family for the past seven to eight months. For those of you that don't know, she was diagnosed seven months ago with stage four lung cancer. Never smoked a day in her life or been around it. She has a website. It's going to be up here too, I think, or maybe it already was. Um, awaitinggod.com. And, and as I said in the beginning of the message today, one of the most important things I want us to learn is how to come alongside someone who's going through something like this. Because either if, if it's not us or one day will be us, we know somebody else who's going through tough suffering. And there are definitely ways not to come alongside someone who's in the midst of pain and suffering. Good intentions, are not, good intentions are not our words to people in these situations can have powerful effects. And I asked Rob uh, in an email, I said, Rob, Rob is a pastor. He's the lead pastor of, of Bethel Greeley Baptist Church. I'm not exactly sure what the, the actual name of their church is. They're in our conference in Greeley. And I asked him, I said, Rob, have you ever received encouragement that, that wasn't so encouraging? And I asked him what he thought about the statement, everything happens for a reason. And here's what he said. This was, and I asked him if I could quote him, and this is what he said. Hey, Dave, good to hear from you, my man. Sounds like a cool sermon series. Yeah, so I would say that I've wanted to punch people straight in the mouth when they quote to me theological platitudes that are true but do absolutely nothing to ease the soul torture. I would say this. Did Larissa's cancer happen for a reason? Yeah. That reason is that we live in an effed up world. I do understand Genesis 50:20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to be true. But that doesn't help ease the pain at all. And I don't think that God authored cancer so that we could learn some grand lesson. I think that cancer is the result of the curse of sin, and the curse isn't choosy when it comes to who it affects. Wow. I thought about easing his words. He didn't actually spell it out, by the way. But I think it goes to the point that there is pain and suffering in this world. And it is hard. And, it's when, and when it's your pain and your suffering and somebody says something to you like, well, God must have given you this for a reason and it's going to be a really good one and one day you're going to find that out. 
So, so what's your next move? So what do you do? Three things, and they're going to be bullet points. I didn't leave blanks in your notes for these, but three things. The first thing is this. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Are you in the midst of pain and suffering? Are you going through it? I mean, are you there? Maybe you need to get away for a few hours or a few days. Maybe you, man, the the weather's been beautiful here lately. Maybe you need to just go for a hike down by the river and listen, let God speak to you and encourage you. Go fishing. Maybe you need to take some time off work and truly rest. Maybe you need someone to walk alongside of you. Maybe you need a spiritual friend of sorts. Maybe you feel all alone in the midst of this. We have a thing here at North Hills called Stephen's Ministry. And Stephen's Ministry is training in the process and has trained people, lots of training, to be just the person that can walk through something really difficult with you. All it would t- it's free of charge. Doesn't cost you a thing. All you would need to do is write on your connect card, Stephen Minister, and put it in the offering plate at the end of the service. And we'll let them know, and they'll get into contact with you. It could be that your next move is to take care of yourself. It could be that your next move is to pray. It's to pray. It could start with you writing your prayer request down on a Connect card this morning. As a staff, we pray every Tuesday for the, the, the prayer requests that we get. And at your request, they go on to the prayer team and they begin praying for them. Our elders, Rick Teeters, David Stoger, Dwayne Sandlin, Rob Randolph, and Craig Goosewell are available to come and pray for you and with you. Just let us know man, we're really struggling or we really would like to have someone come pray over us. We will pray. I mean, I've had people come up to me on a Sunday morning, hey, will you pray with us? Yeah. Your next move may be to take care of yourself or to pray. It may also be to care for someone else. I mean, we all, dif- we, we all experience difficult things in life, but maybe as you're sitting there thinking, oh man, I just feel so blessed by the Lord. We're not in the midst of pain and suffering in the life of my family. In fact, I couldn't feel more blessed. Then God has you in a healthy place and a place where you can be that person that come, can come alongside someone else and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm here. And then listen. Is there someone that you could call or you could visit? In fact, you don't have to worry about saying the right thing. You don't have to say much. They may just need someone to listen. Someone to provide that soft and gentle place for the pain and hurt to linger. To rest. You know, there, there are those sovereign wrestlings that we need to continue to do. But God so loved us that he sent his only son. And even in the midst of this broken down, messed up world, 
we need to remember that he's right there with us. And that though the pain and suffering that we might be experiencing is because of the fall, that he loves you and he wants to restore. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that even in the midst of dumb things that we do, you love, you forgive, you restore. And Father, I pray that, that, that you would continue to, to have us wrestle with these issues as we talk about them over the next four weeks. Father, help us to, to be obedient in the midst of difficult things. Help us to not minimize the effects of sin. And Oh Lord, help us to just trust. I, that's, Father, that's, that's, where, that's where I end up. I just trust you completely no matter what it is. Help us to be faithful no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. And now, Lord, with this final song, we want to worship you. Acknowledge how, how powerful you are. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would bless the gifts that are given today. That you would continue to use us in the lives of people in our county, our state, in our world. Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?